Welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future Part 2, one aluminum ripping minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez in the news. And joining us today, kicking off our second week of Minute Family All-Star Week, Ethan McKinley from Two Minute Terminator. Welcome. Hello, international viewers. Thank you for having me on, guys. Uh, Nick and Scott, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm, uh, in, I'm and- in with a minute, a new minute to show. This is great. So yeah, I'm, uh, it's, <laughs> it's great to be here. Hello, everybody. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to go back to minute 91, uh, which starts with uh, Marty confirming uh, a visual on Biff mm-hmm. and uh, ends with Biff looking behind him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this is, this is the beginning of, uh, basically a week long sequence that is very (laughs) nearly silent. Um, it is, but it's, it's a great sequence nonetheless. Uh, one thing I, I tried to confirm this, I think I found out this is the tunnel that's, uh, they're approaching that's in Roger Rabbit, isn't it? I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Which I was trying to find out where in Los Angeles it was, but it's actually, uh, it's by the observatory, isn't it? I didn't know this. I've been to the observatory a couple of times and never thought in a million years to visit this uh, road leading up to the tunnel. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I couldn't believe it. It's yeah. So- that iconic, that famous <laughs> LA observatory. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it would kind of have to be, right? Because uh, it would be hard to get rid of like all the LA-isms around mm. it otherwise, you know? Because um, they couldn't, you know, CG it out back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd have to go to someplace a little, a little more secluded. Mm. Sure, Do sure. we know where in the fictitious California that Hill Valley is actually set? We have we, lots of theories, but nothing ever uh, can- canonical has been established. Right. We know, we know it's closer to, it's closer to the border than it is to the coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it definitely, there, there's, there's no, there's no, not even a hint of the coast uh, anywhere near or talked about in Hill Valley. Yeah. Um, well, there's the, is, there's a desert at that drive-in theater as well in the third one, isn't there? Right. Right. So exactly. I guess it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Backing onto, I guess, New Mexico or something, or is it, I don't know. Yeah. We right. used to it somewhere. Where it, it, yeah. Where in what yeah. universe in this film universe, where it actually be, uh, kind of set i was yeah. like but even you guys don't know <laughs> yeah we've deduced that it's somewhere in between neptune and sunnydale okay. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh yeah marty's first suggestion is let's just land the car at him <laughs> ca- car on him and cripple his car to 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 uh which I'd say, first of all, you're not going to cripple the car. You're going to cripple Biff. You're going to murder which, Biff. His first. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, fair. That you know, be so let's bad. Just, you just wouldn't get let's your go. Let's, in 1985. <laughs> yeah, let's just go the full Man of Steel ending uh, <laughs> with this one. Not, um, not, let's just kill him. Yeah, let's just kill him. Uh, I, that probably won't cause any ripples, right? That'll be fine. Well, I always thought maybe because like, they could have just tipped the DeLorean sideways and Marty could have kind of leaned out and just kind of dropped in and grabbed it. But I guess maybe the uh, anti-grav kind of uh, conversion, if it's not completely like flat and horizontal with the Earth, it kind of doesn't work, as it were. Yeah, it, it seems like he can tilt it a little bit, like maybe yeah. by like 10 or 20 degrees, but that's about it is what it looks like. I think maybe if it's kind of further away, maybe you've got a bit more leeway, but the closer you get, I guess, to the center of gravity, which would be the terrain or the earth. Right. 
I guess yeah, maybe it's like a go... magnet situation. Like maybe it would like electrogravitics. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to get nutty conspiracy theory, if anyone remembers Bob Lazar, that guy in the nineties who claimed he worked at Area Fifty One. Uh, he said whenever he kind of allegedly uh, flew, he's kind of the, was testing the UFO that he was working on. Uh, depending, there were different like states of allegedly like uh, magnetic fields of gravity depending on the terrain of the Earth. So I'm sure Zemeckis and uh, Bob Gale didn't uh, think of that when they were writing this. <laughs> yeah. But I think it lends possible credence to Bob uh, Lazar and uh, the writers of this. Maybe the closer you get with the time machine as it's flying to the earth, there's, mm-hmm. I guess, little pockets of uh, magnetism and anti-gravity that would kind of... Dis- yeah, I mean, you'd be you'd be surprised the things that, um, you know, Gale and Zemeckis might not have thought of, but the but the actual uh, prop designers and things, they they really thought out stuff. I mean, they, they thought of uh, how all energy is create, like consumed and created in the future, and yeah. you don't even know unless you're looking at background details. It's... Incredible. I know they're throwing away laser discs in the future. I can't believe that. I'll have them. Well, well, that's the thing is they're they're throwing away laser discs, but they're but they're throwing them away in dumpsters that have the Mister Fusion logo, and so all buildings are run on garbage. This is true. Yeah, um, which is utopian kind of awesome. the future, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. They've, they've kind of got it half right. We're kind of getting there. We just don't have the flying cars or the hoverboards yet. I, we don't want flying cars. That would just be – that would be a horrifying disaster. <laughs> Dude, that would be amazing. I mean it would be it would be a cool in concept, but the actual logistics of it working would be yeah. – We would have to I'm evolve fine. a lot further as a species. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think if they allowed that, we'd have kind of Google uh, cars, wouldn't we? They're kind of, well, it's where they're going now, but I guess if you did go kind of skyward, you'd definitely need a kind of like uh, automatic kind of Google like a, car. Yeah, like an AI pilot kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. 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 I mean I'm, 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 I'd be cool with flying cars if, if very – if no human was ever in charge of, of <laughs> operating it. Right, <laughs> especially um, me. So, so Doc mentions that uh, you know Mar- Marty wants to cripple the car uh, to Biff's car, but Doc mentions that that's a dumb idea because he's driving a forty-six Ford, we're driving a DeLorean. It would rip through us like tinfoil. Yeah. To which I say, would it? Because the whole point of the DeLorean is it had stainless steel construction. Yeah. Well, I think if you were in a head-on collision with the this car, he'd, I guess the DeLorean would be more damaged, I guess, maybe. But uh, I think because they're flying, they could have just like, yeah. yeah, just dropped it on Biff's head slightly, knocked him out or kind of chipped his head with the uh, the outward facing wheels that the housing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, yeah. It, it just feels like it feels like anything involving ramming the DeLorean onto Biff's cars kind of seems like a Hail Mary pass because <laughs> then, then you risk damaging the DeLorean and then they're both up shit creek. I well, was, I mean, they could. I mean, the, these movies are such about repetition. I mean, they could have just pulled up next to him and then opened the DeLorean door in his face again. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I mean, Marty has know. like three moves. Yeah. The thing is, because Biff is the almanac now and he's had everything explained to him by like older Biff or older himself, he's mm-hmm. kind of aware that there is a future and that, that he is from it and he's come back to give him this book. I. I do question sometimes why they didn't just reveal that the DeLorean was there. Maybe the shock of seeing that when he would have crashed his own car, they could have grabbed the almanac and kind of flown off. It's uh, I don't think Biff here would have been as shocked as perhaps uh, Elizabeth Shue seeing herself in the future of, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, Biff well, seems I think... just so immune to wonder in general. Right. <laughs> 
because he has a cold dead heart yeah um <laughs> perfectly played by uh Tom's Wilson, by the way. Who's the, oh, think, yeah. I think the hero actor of this entire series, really. I think... Uh, definitely, definitely this one. Yeah. Uh, definitely. I, I think we I think we talked about in the, la- in the first one, we think it's Leah Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, yeah, the star is definitely, uh, definitely uh, uh, Thomas L. Wilson. And then I would say the third one is probably going to be Christopher Lloyd. But, yeah. Well, um, I think, I mean, those four or three, especially, I mean, it's... I mean, I wrote this in my notes. It's like a perfect movie. Whatever you think of the film, whether you like it or not, I mean, no one can deny, like, it was absolutely perfectly cast, especially with Christopher Lloyd, who didn't want the role initially, did he? And, I mean, Michael J. Fox, who luckily uh, was able to get time off from family ties and things. It's just uh, every performance is, like, pitch perfect. Mm -hmm. And I think Tom Wilson shines as well because he gets to play such multiple characters. You get it with, I guess, Michael when he plays his own daughter <laughs> and, and son, obviously, and himself in the future. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's just a remarkable film. Mm-hmm. It's something you always kind of come back to. I think, uh, I think that's why it stood the test of time. And it's and also, I mean, it's not been altered. No one's ever tinkered with it or messed with the special effects like Lucas perhaps has. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. just a great, great film. And I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't, it, when I first saw the film, I think the first one, it didn't really register. I was aware of it. Everyone loved it. I liked it. But I think it's only when we came to this film that I kind of really jumped aboard the Bats of the Future thing. And I know they didn't kind of want to make this because it wasn't designed for a sequel, the first one, I believe. But right. the, yeah, the, I think the one I always come back to is this film because it's so experimental and weird. And then kind of Zemeckis goes back into it from a different angle. He, we kind of like revisit the first one, but from this even third person perspective, it's kind of, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why, because I, I think the first one is the best one, but I'm always torn between well, with this one, especially because it's so interesting and involving. The one I come back to the most is this film. Mm hmm. I mean, it's definitely uh, the first one and the third one are very similar mm. where it, because the the problem in both of those movies is time travel. Time travel is the problem yeah. in both of those. This one's different because it has a villain. Uh, you know, Biff is just a he's – a, he's the villain of this movie, whereas in the other ones, he's just sort of a nuisance more than anything yeah. else. Um, and, and, it, and so it's an interesting – I think what what stands as test for t- of time with these is that you know back then when you would do a sequel when you would do another Lethal Weapon or a, you know another Forty Eight Hours or you know a lot of sequels like that you tended to just sort of like oh remember everything that worked in that movie well we're just going to do it again Here it is again yeah 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 and yeah. they did that in this but they did it in a really different way by being like remember all that stuff that we did in the first movie we're going to revisit it all. We're going to literally do it again, but we're going to do it differently this time. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's very brave, I think, for what they did. But I think is that kind of – do you think it was them not kind of being out of ideas and going, what the hell do we do for a sequel? The studio wants this. The, the first one was a massive hit. We put to be continued kind of as a joke. Mm-hmm. Well, they, now- wrote, they wrote – well, Bob, I shouldn't say they because Zemeckis didn't write the sequels. But Bob Gale wrote a sequel – that was just a standalone sequel yeah. where instead of revisiting 1955, they went to 1967 sure. and Marty uh, accidentally got in the way of his conception 
And so instead of getting his parents to kiss and fall in love, he actually has to get them laid. Um, <laughs> that's actually what the plot of this other uh, Back to the Future sequel was, that they eventually abandoned and decided yeah, to just revisit That's a little it. bit too adult, I think, isn't it? I think, <laughs> right. Yeah. And they yeah. kind of covered it in the, in the first and, one. You know, yeah. and, and, it's, and at some point in that, in that plot, the, the question of personal responsibility has to come into play. <laughs> like, how much of this really is Marty's responsibility? Mm-hmm. By uh, the way, what are your theories? I, well, we'll get to the filmmakers' theories, of course. What are your theories on time travel? Because I think people say if, if, like, well, let's just say if you went back and killed, accidentally killed your grandfather, would you cease to exist, or would it just create a different time stream in a universe that you weren't actually born, but you would continue on if you returned <laughs> to the future? Because I mean, it's deleted. I think from this film, you don't see it. You get a Biff comes back from the past after giving young Biff the almanac, young himself the almanac. Now, in the deleted mm-hmm. scenes, he kind of fades away. So he wasn't the direct kind of beneficiary of giving himself the almanac, as it were. The young Biff obviously carried on and became this rich, weirdly, they predicted, again, this Donald Trump-esque uh, future. <laughs> mm-hmm. We could have, in fact, American listeners, are we going to live in this alternate Back to the Future 1985 after November? I don't know. Not according to the polls. uh i i well i think i think actually getting rid of that scene where old biff actually disappears was kind of a mistake because while it was uh it was deleted for like a good reason for pacing issues i think it causes problems because the first film suggests that if you change something, you could cease to exist. Yeah. This well, he movie kills himself, doesn't he? Right. But then this movie suggests, no, it just creates another timeline. So that actually the two films kind of contradict each other in that way. Yeah. Um, which is that, is that the prevailing theory? Well, not in movie world now, in our reality, that if you did do that, you'd just create an alternate timeline. So if you, Nick or Scott killed your grandfather accidentally, you come back to this time now and you'd be like, oh, I'm still here. I mean, my my feeling on it would be that if I went back in time to kill my grandfather, I would no longer exist, and therefore my grandfather would never have died, and therefore I wouldn't disappear from existence and would reappear, and it would just basically loop forever. Yes, um, that's um, that's kind of. I mean, that's the only way I can make it make sense in my head. Yeah, well, that's better than what I came up with. That's brilliant, actually. Well done. <laughs> 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 <clears throat> If he didn't have me in the first place to go back and kill him, therefore I wouldn't be able to kill him anyway. Therefore I'm still here. Exactly. Right. Yeah. What was Amazing. Uh, the fact that Donald Trump is is still running for president is kind of the clearest sign that he's not going to win because no one's gone back in time to stop him from winning. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> or have they? Or have they? Oh yes, exactly. Uh, it's, like the, it's like the Berenstein Bears controversy from last year. <laughs> Uh yeah, so this this uh this whole sequence that's uh, that is beginning now that um when Doc says I have an idea, which I think it's interesting that it's, it's I have an idea. You're going to put on the hoverboard thing and you're going to travel between two moving vehicles. I'm going to stand here and drive. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna. St- I'm actually gonna fly away uh, and be safe over here. You're gonna do some and you're gonna do some of those six skateboard tricks that you love so much. Yeah. Force Biff off the road. He stops the car. Marty distracts him, and uh, Doc uses the Alpha Rhythm uh, sleep generator to knock him out. Steal the almanac. Done. And man, mm. the the reveal. I mean, one of the I actually kind of feel like one of the rare times we're watching this movie minute by minute. Actually, 
uh, enhances this this experience because when, when he pulls that when he pulls out that hoverboard, it is such a fist pump moment. Yeah, and yeah, for me, it yeah, I mean, it. it's it, it's it's what makes the hoverboard iconic. Because my my argument is that everyone says, "Oh man, as soon as you see that hoverboard at the beginning, like that's when it's awesome." But it's like, mm. no, I mean, we watched it. That hoverboard chase sequence is lame. Yeah, uh, it's it's not shot particularly well. Uh, nothing particularly cool happens. It's this moment and the moments that they use it in part three that makes the hoverboard as yeah, iconic as it is. Clara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's not that hoverboard chase sequence. It's this. This is this is the moment. Yeah, uh, and it's I, uh, yeah, yeah, I and, and it's so it's so quintessentially. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, this whole sequence that we're going to be talking about is so quintessentially. Back to the Future because it's it's just epic enough, mm. right? And you know, and, and we've said this again and again, but like you know, the, the magic of this is that you know everything that Marty does in this movie is something that you, the viewer, can imagine yourself doing. You know, especially yeah. as, a, as a young person. Do you guys it's, have any memorabilia? Do you own a hoverboard at all, you guys? Because they came out a couple of years ago, didn't they? Like a life size, obviously non functional one, right? <clears throat> in uh, like limited numbers. I mean, do you guys have anything like that? I I have I. Uh... I have like little stuff. I've never went and got like the real, the big stuff, like the like the hoverboard, or uh, I, I would die for a flux capacitor. But um, <laughs> I would love that. But uh, I've I've never been able to like pony up the three hundred dollars for for something like yeah, that. Scott definitely has more swag than me. I, I mean, I've been to his apartment, and you know, he's got the poster. He's got the uh, yeah, I've got the frame poster. Yeah, he's got some cool art. Uh, you've got the out of time license plate. I oh, really yeah, want my Hot car. Toys Marty and DeLorean. The one who is it uh, one six scale uh, DeLorean from Hot Toys. I'm desperate uh-huh. to get that. Oh yeah, that's those are those are great. They just announced those uh, the new uh, the second one with Doc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the one I'm five scale with that. like Doc and Marty. And oh <laughs> yeah. my god, those things are incredible. Yeah, it's even got yeah. the uh, the kind of uh, like the FAA landing lights that come across the bottom of the DeLorean as well on the actual toy. So I'm uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm actually not a big uh, collector. Actually, the only Back to the Future thing I own is uh, I I had to go out and buy the uh, the trade of the uh, of the comic book series for for podcasting purposes. And that's kind of the first thing I've ever bought. Yeah, I'm actually like um, earlier this summer, uh, I got like the, the Holtzman action figure from 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 ghostbusters and, and that sure. that was kind of out of character for me because i'm normally not like a, a big toy guy yeah uh, i used to be when i was a little kid but you're uh, you live a very monk like sparse life yeah i don't <laughs> i don't i don't own a lot of stuff yeah that's good uh, you like kane and kung fu yeah right. I, I mean, I, mean yeah, I, I think i think nick showed up in when he moved to chicago i think he showed up with like a bag um <laughs> That was like that was it. It's like home. I'll figure out everything once I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> and books. I'm I'm a sucker for books. That, that's kind of that definitely does take up the most weight whenever I have to to move. Right. Have you guys read the novelization at all of uh, these films? Do they differ if you've read them? Do you know? Yeah, yeah. the The first one differs uh, a lot. Um, the first so they, one is are they crank- based off like a shooting script initially? The novelizations of films is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's not. It's based off of an even earlier draft. Um, right. It's based off of. Well, I mean, it's based off the original shooting draft, the one that uh, starred uh, uh, Eric Stoltz. Uh, Eric Stoltz, right? Mm. Um, so when when the novelization describes Marty, it's describing Eric Stoltz, not Michael J. Fox. 
Right. Um, a and then humorless boy. Right. And then and then the uh, sequels were actually written for children. So they're the the actual like reading of them is much more simplistic and and um they're they're not as good and they they do are they they are much closer to um the uh the movies. Does anyone remember about God, was it 2004 they were going to kind of do a fourth Back to the Future? Was it Sarah Michelle Gellar and Christopher Lloyd? And it suddenly got quashed? Does anyone remember that? They were trying to kind of re- redo it or re- like do a fourth or do a new trilogy. And I think Zemeckis yeah. put the kibosh on it. Right. Yeah, because they, uh, they have controlling interest of the, of the property. Um, Which yeah. I think is, is the right thing to do. I think – I suppose they struggled getting these three stories out. I mean, where would you go actually from here? Uh I mean, could you make something out of Doc's story when he comes back to the future with that, like that train and stuff? I don't know. I'm not sure where they would actually go if they did anymore. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the problem. I think the ultimate problem is Michael J. Fox. Um, is is that you can't do anything with Marty? I think that's that's probably the biggest problem with doing a sequel to Back to the Future. Yeah. Uh, because you would have to shift the focus and make Doc the main character or create a brand new character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you wouldn't be able to revisit things or yeah. – yeah. So it, it would just – it would be, have to be a very different series of films to the point where you would almost question, well, yeah, I could see the studio imagine. wondering – yeah, I could see the studio wondering like, well, do we do a sequel? Do we do like a reboot call, like a Jurassic World? Like, yeah, yeah those movies happen, but then this is a sequel but also a reboot. Yeah. Or do you do the Ghostbusters thing where you're just like, those never happened and these are these movies? Yeah. And um, kind of the most unsuccessful parts of the new Ghostbusters is when it, it almost couldn't decide if it was a legacy sequel or a reboot. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I think also, like I said before earlier in the show, the, the the performances and the casting, I think more than any other film maybe in history, uh, is like just perfect. It really is. I mean, the, the characters make the film and I, a lot of films don't really have that quality. Christopher Lloyd, you couldn't have anyone else but Christopher Lloyd to be the duck. I, I don't think anyone else could kind of get that maniacal kind of uh, that genius that he is, but he's just kind of that kind of scatty, crazy. And Marty, obviously, it's just it's perfect casting. I don't, I don't think any other film in history perhaps has had such a, a, a good luck run as it were with the kind of the casting and then actually getting Michael five or six weeks into shooting and replacing mm-hmm. him from Eric Stoltz. Not that I've seen much of Eric's footage, which weirdly they do, won't release any of it. I don't know. They keep holding on to that stuff. You, you see like little s- snippets of it, but I think, uh, yeah, they actually made the right choice. It's such a, a well cast, well acted, well put together uh, set of movies. Yeah. There's this really beautiful moment uh, in this scene where where uh, where Marty kind of hooks onto the to Biff's car and he gives Doc a thumbs up and then Doc gives this total bad <laughs> thumbs up. Uh, I, yeah, I just I love that their relationship is like sixty percent parental, forty percent peer. Yeah, I think that's my favorite moment in the first one actually when uh, Marty's about to leave and he kind of says goodbye to the Doc and like before he gives them the letter and he goes in about 30 years and it's like he's the doc is gonna have to wait 30 years to see marty marty's like hopefully we'll get back to doc in time to save his life and it's like it's such an amazing bittersweet moment it's uh that's i think my favorite bit in the whole trilogy because it really cements kind of their friendship and how much they actually mean to each other and oh, how yeah. much like the young doc has weirdly learned not only about himself that he does actually finally invent something that works and it's this amazing thing but he's got to wait for 30 years to pick marty's brains and kind of like i guess experience this and 
I guess even when he first encounters Marty, not on that night, but when they first remain friends, does Doc tell him that this has happened or does he, does he actually wait until the night of Twin Pines Mall to go, well, <laughs> I figured, <laughs> what the of, hell, this is the time I can tell you. Yeah, right. and kind of the most beautiful thing to come out of all the you know, Doc's inventions is, you know, the, he finally has found a friend, a companion, you know, that, yeah. that isn't a dog. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, he, he's obviously he's been very isolated because that is that the Frank Lloyd Wright house or is it Howard Hughes's house that they filmed that in? It's it's in it's in LA somewhere, isn't it? The uh, the yeah, we, we talked about it. I forget exactly what house it was. Uh, we I had a bunch of background for that house, but now I don't remember it all because that was like a year ago. <laughs> but uh, yeah. oh, it's the, sorry, I've just googled it. It's the Gamble House. That's right, it. Gamble. Yes, the Gamble uh, National Historic Landmark. The house portrayed as the home of Doc Brown in Back to the Future. There we right. go. Um, yeah, I. You know what's funny too about this about this sequence uh, when after Doc gives the thumbs up and he he sort of like flies the DeLorean away. Mm-hmm. He kind of drifts away to the side and up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they're going into a tunnel, and all I can think about is the the trench run sequence from Star Wars. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> this is. I mean, this is literally like the Back to the Future trilogy's like trench run. Um, yeah, <laughs> escape Biff and go. Oh no, there's a hundred yards of uh, <laughs> tunnel still to go, and he's in the uh, the forty six Ford. Right. Uh, uh, Almanac's about the size of a womp rat, right? Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I've got a slight query. I'm not sure if you guys have noticed this or have it in your notes, but I questioned this 24 seconds into this minute. It's when Marty's about to get out of the DeLorean. He's got his foot on the hoverboard. As he peels away from the car, uh, Doc kind of like switches on or off the, the light, the cab light in the car. I assume that was to light the act when they were filming it. But if you look carefully, it's the stuntman covering his face. Did you notice that? Oh yeah! Look at that. Look at that. Like, it's not. It's not Doc. <laughs> right. I thought he was just doing some like switcherooing with his uh, equipment within the DeLorean, as he's like the heads-up display or something, or just. Uh, but it's the stuntman covering <laughs> his face. He's like up, up, up. Yeah. <laughs> <That's really interesting>. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to find this when I was researching it, though, guys. Do you know Scott or uh, Nick? How do they lower the, the full-size DeLorean when the, the clip kind of just at the, as it starts, as they're peeling down behind Biff, you see the full-size DeLorean come down. It's not on a crane arm or on any kind of like hoist or winch. How is it suspended? Obviously, it's on wires, but I, there's no kind of like CG wire removal in 1990 or 89. Like, how the hell did they lower that car? I mean, it's probably a shell, but even so, I still cannot see the wires anywhere. Yeah, yeah, and it, it it's it's really just a testament to to movie magic that yeah you, know, you 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 know the rational part of your brain knows that it's not real, but you also can't find the trick or the illusion. Yeah, it's obviously practical because there's I mean there are some CG scenes I think earlier in the film I think particularly when I think Biff's reversing out to go to the future and it hits those kind of dumpsters, you can see the matte line in the car ever so is slightly see through. But I mean apart from that here and there i mean everything's spot on and knowing it's kind of like it's almost like the last corridor of time in which ilm and various other companies were using photochemical and analog effects so i mean even that in itself is an achievement it's i just still can't figure out how they lowered this car i always assumed there was like a very thick wire where mr fusion was but there's i just imagine it would spin so that can't be right i just i'm so fascinated as to how they've actually done this it's uh you literally can't see the wires 
it 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 looks to me like it's not full size. It looks to me like it is actually like a like a half size or quarter size miniature. Mm. Um, well, actually, just before Marty opens the door, the stuntman's head turns, so it's, it's it must be. I think maybe when it comes behind Biff, when it's in the distance through Biff's windshield, maybe yeah. It's, but it's it's that initial kind of one where it just drops into frame of the close up. You see the stuntman turn. Who's oh, driving? Yeah, okay. And the door opens. That one, back. yeah, that one's yeah, a full size. Is, Let me see. Yeah, that's that's the scene. I'm kind of going, wow, how the hell did they do that? It's, uh... I don't know. Yeah, because you get you have the whole DeLorean in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was assuming it was like a very thick wire up through the Mister Fusion pipe, but I was like, it would just spin like a top. There's nothing kind of like uh, anchoring it to just follow oh, the camera. Oh, you know what? I do see a mat line on the bottom of the DeLorean. Oh. Brilliant! You just ruined it for me. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, you can see, you can see uh, there's there's a very abrupt change between the base of the DeLorean and the road, oh. uh, where the color is very very different. So I assume that's uh, they must have erased it with like some sort of uh, yeah. matte painting or something like that. Because I mean, the other stuff where it's kind of peeling into shot, that's obviously on a rig, isn't it? And I think when Doc pulls away later in the scene, it's kind of must be like on wheels. And it's got just these kind of sideways uh, tires like outriggers so it looks like it's floating mm-hmm. <clears throat> by the way i found out a little fact i'm not sure if you guys know this but where oh where have i put it uh biff's car where is it i wrote this down i know i did the uh, 46 ford yeah it's actually it alternates between a 46 and the 47 ford apparently throughout the film you can tell apparently by the uh, the venting on the windshield and the grill apparently oh yeah did uh, each one do a different thing or something? I don't know. I can only assume whoever was in charge of uh, like physical effects or props got two cars, and I guess they just had to kind of they, they probably because it's a classic car. Maybe they can only get two for the filming. Although right. that, that's quite unlikely. But uh, yeah, they they alternate between. Here we go. So Biff's car, uh, it's uh, in 1955, changes back and forth between a 1946 Ford to a 47 Ford as seen by the differences in the parking lamps and the shape of the vented windows. Huh. Now, I've got this off IMDb, listeners, so uh, please forgive me if there's any car buffs out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you will know if I'm right, because I, so, I, sometimes the IMDb uh, trivia and goofs, they don't always get it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that from doing the Terminator podcast. <laughs> yeah, so so tell people about uh, Two Minute Terminator, the... Uh... Well, who started first? Was it? I think I was one of the first ones out of the gate after Star Wars Minute. Uh, I think you were, yeah. And I think you must have started just after that, and then everyone else followed. I literally started it because I liked Terminator. I liked Star Wars Minute, and I thought, oh, I should start a Minute show. I got their blessing, and I thought, one minute Terminator doesn't sound right, so I thought, we'll do two-minute Terminator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and literally, it was just as a way of kind of uh, – Doing what those guys do, and I—I I mean, you guys are fans of Kevin Smith. I've heard the show. I mean, he all he ever does it whenever he does a like a, I guess a, a, what is it? One of his personal appearances. Everyone out there, start a podcast, start a podcast. Mm-hmm. So you think, yes, I'm going to start a podcast, and of course, uh, when you start podcasts, you realize how many podcasts are actually out there. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the thing, you know, he tells everyone to start a podcast and it's like, well, that's easy for you to say. You're Kevin Smith. <laughs> yeah, you get 100,000 downloads just by being you. But yeah. no, I mean, it's been, it's been, I mean, great fun. I mean, listening to all the other minute shows and you guys and stuff and uh, doing my own show. It's, it's very rewarding and it's fun. 
Uh, I mean, it's been great experience. I've started another podcast called Questionable Now, where I just interview regular, I guess, straight guests, which I guess the closest thing would be a mix of Nerdist and Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week's guest was David Ajala, a guy from uh, Jupiter Ascending and Fast and Furious 6, who's about to start a new sci-fi show called Falling Water. Oh. So, yeah. Uh, and you've done, you've done, uh, you finished four Terminator films on your show already. We've finished, well, I've got three sets of credits to go, which I'm going to do tomorrow okay. until the end of the week. And then we're done with Terminator Salvation, and then we're going to start season five, which is, of course, uh, Terminator Genesis. Uh, I also, which I think that a Ghostbusters Minute do as well, I put my show on uh, YouTube as a way of kind of like having it there for posterity. Uh, But as of, I guess, the fourth season, Salvation, I've actually done the video clip we're actually watching uh, on YouTube as we talk about it, Mystery Science Theatre 3K style, so the listener can view what we're talking about. But I've run into horrendous problems with uh, copywriters from doing that. It's okay now. I kind of know them all. So... uh, there's certain kind of fair use rights on YouTube. So if the sound's not actually on, you're only using a portion of the film, it's not a full experience for the viewer. You're not stealing anyone's kind of content. And right. essentially, which is what you guys are doing with Back to the Future and I guess the Star Wars Minute, uh, the Ghostbusters guys, uh, Wrath of Khan Minute, Indiana Jones Minute, Jaws Minute, you're kind of lionizing and kind of selling with great love and affection uh, these things that we all like, which are these movies. So uh, I think when you you know explain that to them, they kind of uh, – leave you alone but so yeah it's been a, it's been a very great learning curve and uh are you once you guys are finished with genesis are you doing another series or are you continuing on to like sarah connor chronicles or what are you guys doing yeah we're going to do sarah connor chronicles uh and after that i'm not sure whether to do like the occasional special where we do like a commentary for an arnold schwarzenegger movie or just start doing uh minute by minute commando or minute by minute but then i think it's not terminated you'd have to change the name so if we do do another one it will probably end with Sarah Connor Chronicles, but that's another. Well, uh, hopefully by then the uh, the sequel to Genesis will be out. That they're <laughs> well, if Arnold love, love you to have them believe that, but I think they've dumped that idea of a trilogy, haven't they? Sadly, I didn't mind it at all. I thought it was a pretty good film. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I think. I mean, even doing Back to the Future. I mean, you guys must know this. It's you, you don't think all the things you'll think you'll see and learn by viewing these things, like literally minute by minute. But you actually learn so much. Some things. You, you have a greater appreciation for one of the things you kind of see more of its flaws, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think when you love something that much, you see like it's warts and all, don't you? I mean, uh, yeah. how's this been for you guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I, I've, I mean, back to the future has been my favorite film forever. Uh, the first and, one. Yeah. The you first did this one. With the flux capacity guys a couple of episodes back. Right. Well, you're kind of, uh, how, do, how does the Holy Tr- Trinity uh, sit for you guys? How does the Back to Future trilogy kind of uh, – uh, I For for me, and I, I think Nick agrees, uh, for us it's it's one, three, and then two. Yeah. Um, but but three and two are very close. I mean they're not – Yeah, hmm. and you know, coming out of – coming off a of summer where we saw sequel after sequel sort of underperform both critically and financially, you know, you have, as flawed as Back to the Future 2 and 3 are, I would kill for – for most of the sequels coming out uh, from from Hollywood to be this strange and this ambitious and and, and this original, you know, they're well, also good as well. I think uh, in terms of consistency, I think Back to the Future probably more than any of the trilogies out there, including Star Wars uh, and Lord of the Rings. I think I know they're all different films, but in terms of consistency and the look and the kind of integrity of each film, uh, they all still kind of stand up and they're all 
excellent quality films. I mean, even, I guess, like you said, your least favourite one, which is the second one, even so, that still stands at head and shoulders, like you said, in terms of ideas and quality of filmmaking mm-hmm. and the actual film itself against any of the modern blockbusters, even this summer's, in fact. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. So do you think your opinion has changed on the trilogy as you've got older? Because I used to hate three because it was just like, it's just boring, nothing happens in it. And as I kind of, I guess I've got older, I've appreciated it a lot more about like falling in love, getting old, your usefulness, whether you're actually, you know, as, as time goes on, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, I mean, when you're, when you're younger, the third one is just a Western and, and, you yeah. know, people of our generation, uh, they don't, we don't really get westerns we don't really appreciate them until later yeah. in life um so yeah i mean the third one kind of like world war ii yeah 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 the third one just isn't great uh until you get older and start appreciating those tropes more i think yeah. well i think that the lovely message of the third one as well is it's kind yeah. of never too late to kind of turn things around because i guess doc like you said he's been this insular person uh, locked into his kind of equations and all these inventions that work or don't work and he's kind of life as that part of his life has passed him by. And then we find that in the most unlikely places, just as the curtain's about to fall and you think you're done and that's it, uh, the most surprising things in life can happen to you. Yeah, so it's a, a great message for the whole trilogy and also the third one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. I, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's all, uh, that's all I have for this minute. Um, yeah. do you have any, uh, closing thoughts on, uh, on back to the future part two, Ethan? We'll definitely have to have you back for part three. Oh no, God, guys, I'll come on and do an entire week. I don't care. I love doing these things. Yeah. I love, uh, uh, <laughs> talking till the cows come home about, <laughs> uh, uh, films. Uh, just what I just said about just the, like the trilogy. I can, there's messages there. I think for everyone it's like, it's a family film, but it's got adult elements. You can kind of like, well, I mean, I'm proof of that. I didn't like the third one. And as you get older, you kind of understand the elements and things that are in play that kind of went over your head as a kind of a much younger person or a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's something there for all. I mean, well, it speaks for itself. It's kind of, it's back to the future trilogy. It speaks to all generations and you take away from it what you will, depending what uh, a point in your life that you are. And I think it's like a lovely, beautiful message that uh, you should never give up. You should always keep trying. Uh, just as you think you're done, things can turn around and you can, you know, build a time traveling train. And <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, uh, I think in terms of consistency, uh, it's the most consistent uh, film trilogy. And even to this day, I mean, so much so you kind of half want them to do more of them, but you know, that would actually spoil it. Uh, Indiana Jones. Nope. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they're doing a fifth one of that. So that's also a a growing concern for me. (laughs) Uh, So, Mm. so tell, tell people where they can find you and your, your podcasts. Okay. Well, I'm Ethan McKinley. You can find me on the two minute Terminator, which is uh, we break down the Terminator films two minutes at a time. And I've got a secondary show called questionable EMCQ. But if you type in Ethan McKinley, you might probably find it. Ethan McKinley's questionable, which is also, uh, I think it's on SoundCloud. I'll be on Podbean, uh, I think by next week as well, but, uh, you can find me on iTunes. You can find the two minute Terminator on uh, YouTube. So you can follow along with the clips that we talk about as we do them. And, uh, yes, gentlemen, I've had an absolutely wonderful time. I will come and shoot the breeze with you anytime you wish for back to the future. What, do you, what have you guys got planned when this runs out? What are you guys uh, we yeah we're definitely sleep uh we do have yeah, plans but we're not we're not allowed to announce what they are yet oh okay yeah 
That's cool. We, we, we can tell you. We can tell you off mic, but uh, okay. Well, yeah. no, it's a, it's a great show, and long may it continue, at least until the third one ends, and then uh, yeah. I'd always say come back for the one-off special where you kind of commentate, do a commentary for each film, perhaps. Yeah, possibly. Because then it's kind of like doing the show bit in reverse. You kind of into kind of uh, keep going <laughs> for like two hours and kind of like come up with stuff on the fly, as opposed to having this like luxury of time where you can uh, pour over each minute. Right. <laughs> Scott, Nick, I've had a great, great time, and thank you, listeners. It's uh, thank you for having me. Oh, All right, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we will be back tomorrow with another episode. In the meantime, you can go to our website, duelinggenre.com, where you can find uh, the post of this. You can leave comments there. You can join in the discussion. Uh, you can also email us. We do need emails. We are uh, quickly coming up on the credits, which means a week of mailbag episodes. Uh, so if you want to get uh, in on that, you're going to want to email us. That's contact at backtothefutureminute.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Tumblr and Facebook. Leave us iTunes reviews. Check out our other podcast, The Doctor's Companion, our Doctor Who podcast uh, that we do with Cassandra Fredrickson. And Geek by Night, our original audio drama, uh, fully cast. Nick and I write it. Uh, with with uh, a great writing staff and, and everything. So go check that out. All of those are available at DuelingGenre.com. And if you go to DuelingGenre.com slash support, you can check out our Patreon page. And at $5 a month, you can gain exclusive access to Back to the Future Minute, No Roads Edition, our weekend edition of the podcast where we talk about the cartoon series and the comics and the video game and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and and you get that podcast and and several other exclusive podcasts that we do for Patreon. Um, so go check that out. And uh, special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, Leaper182. And we will be back tomorrow with Minute 92. Bye. See you guys. Bye, everyone. Bye.